Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Coral Chihuahua. Second inversion chords. Second inversion chords. And uh, we had these two episodes about Bach with Eamon and Sammy, but uh, of course the BBC thing, BBC Singers thing happened, and so we put that uh, episode together. And of course there's been somewhat of a reprieve in the last couple of days, but everyone's left wondering, well, does this now mean a private solution, which shouldn't be what the BBC is about? Um, my own view is that if it is, that's maybe not what it should be, but it actually might make them stronger. I just think they should be allowed to market themselves because they do such interesting stuff, and yet one really rarely hears about them unless one actually is madly following them, and they do such interesting music. Anyway, if you haven't heard that last ep, it's a really good introduction to the variety of the things that the BBC do. I saw someone on Twitter just now moaning about the King Singer's new Disney album, and so you shouldn't pander and... You know, someone else saying it's a zero-sum game. Of course, you should do everything. And that's we should be so impressed with the way British groups, you know, the top ones seem to be able to do all these different things. And that last episode of ours just showed the sort of variety of the, the BBC singers. I think the problem's a much bigger one. And I think the reason people got so exercised about this BBC singers thing was because it seemed to be um, so indicative of how classical music seems to be valued much less by people who are making decisions. Well, of course it is. If 40 years ago uh, you stopped supporting music in state schools, then you are going to grow up with uh, a class of managerial people who weren't exposed to it in school. And uh, with all the extraordinary work going on with individual charities and music hubs around the country, um, you know, if I talk to other professionals, they say, wouldn't it just be easier to value it in the schools again? Anyway, so um, we'll get on to Bach now with Eamon and uh, Sammy, but uh, it's a big shout-out to all music teachers, state schools, private schools, all of you, um, but especially the ones at state schools. If you're not feeling valued, we value you. Keep doing what you're doing, please, for our kids' sake and our kids' kids' sake, and for everyone's sake, really. It, uh, it civilises us all. Profound thought there. Uh, over to Bach. Eamon and Sammy were mid-sentence talking about the chorales and what they do for the pacing of the whole thing. So back to these two old windbags. 
and you need those moments of space, don't you? Because actually, I mean, these are pieces that we know well. And even within this, I look for those moments of, of calm almost that, that come, you know, with the chorales. It's like a, a moment of breathing space. James McMillan talks about the silences in his music being almost as important as the notes on the page. And I know you like that Mozart quote about it's the it's the space between the notes, yeah, uh, which exactly. is which is where the music lies. Um, it, it there's almost there's so much in this music that our I don't know, my brain at least can't process it, and I need these the space that these chorales afford. That's exactly right, and one imagines that part of the problem with the initial reception of the of the John, for example, is is just that that it's, it's too much for a listener to take on in one hearing. It's also worth remembering that we, you and I, uh, and, and those of us who have the fortune to spend time with this music, have done these pieces much more than Bach did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. He, would have, he played the John, we think, maybe four or five times. The Matthew, we think, maybe twice, uh, which is kind of mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. I mean, you know, what a, a privilege for us, but it kind of must have been heartbreaking for him in a way to have, I mean, the care that he put into them and as the manuscript of the Matthew is this incredible sort of, uh, almost like a, he wanted this, you know, the, this copy to be. You know, this was like the final version. You mentioned that the John uh, was revised, you know, four four times, I think, um, or at least there are four. Is it four versions of it? Yeah, so, I think so. You know, we get to we get to revisit this uh, and immerse ourselves in it all the time. Such a fortune, such a you know, such, like I say, such a privilege. The other thing about that is that, um, you know, this reworking that we talk about, it's so unusual for him not to rework something. He was mm-hmm. completely inveterate really as a as an adopter and adapter of, of of material and the fact that the matthew doesn't doesn't get that treatment i think is really telling is but is feels like a particularly special thing like you say the, the manuscript itself is this artifact really um but also the fact that this idea of the of the composer as kind of creator it's slightly more 19th century idea so Bach would the idea of the composer being omnipotent or even superior being as a creator was not just not invented yet; it was also heretical. There was only one creator, and that was all of these things. Like the dedication in all his scores is soli deo gloria. All of this stuff was done to the glory of God. I wonder if he would have been heartbroken about not doing the pieces, or whether he just thought, "Well, that's another thing that's gone," and on the sort of stream of prayer. The complexity in Bach's music is that. Is that part of the praise of God? The more, I mean, these these works particularly, they he didn't write anything really bigger than these, other than you know, the, let's say the B minor mass. You know, they they're approaching that. Certainly, the John was the biggest thing he'd ever written at that stage in his life. Um, the scale, the magnitude, the complexity of the music, all of the connections that you've you know that you've mentioned, uh, the 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 nature of the sort of palindrome of the structure of the John. Is this all part of Bach's aspiration to create something which is which is so extraordinary that therefore his praise of God is greater and yeah, more sincere? I think that's exactly it, isn't it? It's just that, that you think of the supreme architect, and he would have he would have recognised that as as God. And this is this is a, a, a dedicate a way of dedicating his his own work in that way. Structurally, they're amazing. That you know the 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 Matthew and the John in very very different ways. You know that are put together with incredible invention and incredible inspiration and just even technique really 
um, to the extent that you know you or I doing it for the fifty fourth time still find new ways of, that things are connected and linked and new threads to find our way through the piece. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, Luther, was it Luther said that next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise, and that's Bach is almost the embodiment of that. Nick, that's uh, yourself and the Dunedin Consort uh, again there. Another brutal interjection, that time from the Matthew and coming out of the most beautiful soprano aria, Aus Lieber, just like in the St. John, this, the the sort of balm, if you like, of, of the aria is not allowed to linger. There's a school of thought that says that's one of the most shocking parts of Western music up to that point. It's Aus Lieber is a very, very sort of tranquil aria, really, in A minor, just a flute and two oboes to catch on a soprano, no bass, so incredibly ethereal and sort of heaven-looking, um, answering the question as to why why Jesus suffers and perhaps why humanity suffers because of love. And straight out of that, as quickly out of that as you as you want, really, you get this diminished chord and the crowd straight away baying again um, to, for, for Jesus' blood for him to be crucified. Um, it's, it's extraordinary, really, and, and it speaks to Bach's kind of understanding, I think, of how we next to the sublime we have human fault and human suffering and human um stupidity and futility this might be a moment to lower the tone and offer a little bit of levity i can remember being told about um one of the plain song passions you know going back uh several centuries when uh what's the line about he was given the vinegar to drink yeah and so they the, put it on a hyssop what's, what's the line in there sir so after Jesus had drunk the vinegar, he gave up the ghost and said, and he says, it is finished, Ed. Yeah. And, and then, then, uh, then the evangelist sings, I didn't know they made vinegar in Finland, and don't call me Ed. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Could be apocryphal, who knows? Uh, yeah, indeed. If you will let this man go. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's the other one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so there, <laughs> there we have... An example in the John uh, of this sort of the the brutality that that Bach's prepared to to put into the into the narrative and in his music, and it's there in the Matthew as well. Um, so there are of course similarities inevitably uh, between the pieces. In terms of the scale, uh, the 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 John is is much it's on a much smaller scale. I mean, in terms of forces, I'm I'm talking about yeah, exactly. um, the the Matthew. Has a, I mean, for for starters, it's it's in two choirs and two orchestras, which which is pretty radical, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think it's not it's it's unusual, certainly, if not if not sort of revolutionary, um, and it allows again this th- further layers and further kind of um, constructions of meaning within the piece. So I think the the often choir two, for example, that is asking the question that is playing the slightly more um, in the dark believer so they're all, they're always asking where and when and what's happening um 
there's a sense of there's a sense of kind of education even within the music itself and, and of persuading and allowing them to see the story unfolding perhaps more in real time is there a feeling that the john is the poor relation to the matthew N- not for me but but i th- maybe i mean the matthew is so is so great you know the cp bach called it the great passion you know it was it was it was quite quickly known as as bach's um finest work before falling out of of uh use really um but i just think they're very very different things i think that they do different things and their the differences are really illuminating i think it's really worth thinking about that um i, I love i love them both I, I really more than i should yeah i mean you asked me before we started recording you know which one's my favorite i can't answer that question and i won't answer it um Many years ago, I <laughs> uh, worked with a, a great man called Roger Allen, uh, who used to be director of music at the choir school at, at New College and uh, went on to be a uh, fellow in music at St. Peter's College. Bach and Wagner were his two greatest passions, and every year he would conduct a performance of the Matthew. Um, and I can remember him saying to me that in, in his mind that the, that the John was kind of an extended cantata, if you like, but the, the Matthew was a much more Deutscher work. That was the phrase that he used. Yeah, that's, I think that's true. The, the, the Matthew feels like a, a, a slightly more um, separate entity to the cantatas, partly because of the double chorus thing, which only happens very rarely in the cantatas, um, partly because of the scale of it, the length of it even, um, partly as well because of the, the way that, Jesus in the Matthew has this sort of crown of upper strings that that kind of um, give him a sense of divinity musically, um, which I think is really worth thinking about. Uh, the John is uses the same forces really as a as a as a regular Sunday cantata, um, so I can I can understand that. Yeah. You mentioned the the halo of strings that people talk about with Christ. Let's just hear a little bit of that. Mit der Hand mit mir in die Schüssel taubet, er wird mich verraten. Des Menschen Sohn geht zwar dahin, wie von ihm geschrieben steht, doch ehe die Menschen durch welchen des Menschen Sohn verraten wird. Es wäre ihm besser, dass derselbige Mensch noch nie geboren wäre. Da antwortete Judas, der ihn verrät und sprach, Phoenix Rabbi. Er sprach zu ihm, da sie aber hassen, nahm Jesus das Brot, dankete und brach's und gab's den Jüngern und sprach. Den Kelch 
Previous guest on Choral Chihuahua, the great Matthew Brook singing the role of Christ there with my colleague for the day, Nicholas Mulroy, and the Dunedin Consort directed by John Butt. The dream team there for me, you and Matthew. Too kind. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, I mean, I've had great fortune to sing this, these pieces with, you know, lots of great colleagues, including yourself, but the, there is something about the way Matthew does it that I find yeah, very, very, very moving. We were talking about some of the similarities uh, between the John and the Matthew a moment ago. Let's look at some of the differences uh, which we've touched on in terms of the scale of the Matthew. In terms of structure, we have the same sense of the narrative propelled by the evangelist, with the chorus having the role of the crowd, uh, and then we have the arias um, as like the, the illumination, if you like. But in the Matthew... Before most of the arias comes an arioso to like almost to set the sea to set the scene for the aria. Yeah, it's like another level of uh, um, statement, really another level of of speech in a way. Um, it allows us. There's a stronger sense, I think, in the Matthew that what's happening with the narrative and with the reaction to the narrative is a kind of immediate activation of both the voice of God or the voice of the gospel and. Um, a, a kind of reaction, a human reaction in real time to it. Um, in the John, it's slightly, it feels slightly less human than that somehow. I can't explain quite why. Um, but these ariosos give us a sense that we we grow into reflection rather than just kind of reflecting straight away. Let's listen to a, to an example of uh, one of these ariosa, arioso. I'm not sure. Ariosi. Ariosi. That's plural. Anyway, <laughs> one of these. One of them. Um, <laughs> This is right coming right towards the the tail end of the Matthew. Yeah, it comes before the final aria, um, which is Makadich. Um Quite a lot to say about that, I suppose. The Makadich is in B flat major, which is as far from the E minor of the first chorus as it's totally possible to get for Bach. So there's a, a sense of a real transformation, a real transfiguration of of what the music has achieved or the, and the narrative has achieved for us. And the arioso that comes before it is. For me, it's one of the most extraordinary things he wrote. I love Makadich, and it always, always finishes me off, really. But the the arios are just as a distillation of kind of theological thought and of 
music and and its capacity and also it, it takes the crown of strings that perhaps the same singer would have had singing Christus. Christus is now dead but the singer takes on the the role of reflecting on on Christ's life with the same orchestration which I think is some, there's something quite poignant about that. That's Matthew Brook and the Dunedin Consort, directed by John Butt, singing Am Abend da es Kühle war from the Matthew Passion. Hearing that just brings me back. And it was always that Ariozo in particular. I felt a huge sense of responsibility to get the the pit, like the tone of it right. Uh, knowing what's coming, of course, with the great Aria Machadig that everyone loves. But there's something so particular and special to to paint that stillness it was the, the moment in the Matthew that I always maybe not worried about but I wanted to take particular care over yeah it's, it's feels even amongst all this incredible really kind of bafflingly incredible music it's it's a really special moment and like like you sort of hint at there it's really pivotal it comes very shortly after the earthquake things things in the Matthew don't tend to happen as quickly as in the John but in musical terms comes very quickly after the earthquake just after the crowd sings in this a flat major which is the first, the only time we get that key it sings valich um dieses what was it this truly this is the son of god yeah. um and so the yeah it's a re- it, and it sort of it always feels like to me the the kind of turn of a quite a serious corner into the kind of really su- quite surprising kind of joy of makadi um yeah, and it's. I think. I think the way that these things, that these emotions, live so close by to each other, you know, pain and joy, and all all this kind of these kind of diametric um, oppositions, it's 
Bach always feels like he's saying that suffering is is an enriching part of life. It's not it's not the negative. It's absolutely necessary and absolutely makes our lives richer and better rather than something to be endured. When you were talking about Al Saliba, the soprano aria earlier, you talked about how the scoring of it is very particular with the flute, the two obit caccia, no bass line. Um, and this use of of instrumentation, the orchestration of how he colours the arias, is, I think is one of the great joys, I mean, of the Matthew, maybe more than the John, perhaps. I, I was just going through that in my head and wondering, I think the, the Matthew seems m- more orchestrally minded. Yeah, more colourful. We said we weren't going to ask each other, um, you know, if we had a preference between between the two works, um, but certainly there there might be preferred moments uh, within them in terms of this uh, sense of orchestration and colouring. One of my favourites, uh, maybe a little controversially, because people often say that it's too long and it goes on a bit, but I absolutely love it. Is uh, Erviga in the John the Tenor aria, which again is a kind of um, central moment, uh, if you like, and this, the, it's talking about um, the rainbow and the, you know the ref, this sense of the eternal covenant between between God and man. It's the shape of the vocal lines for the voice uh, and the two viola d'amore as they they literally depict you know the rainbow in the sky. It, there's this the wonderful arc to it, uh, and indeed to the aria itself in a in a sort of ABA form. I I just I, it's a moment that always I'm. Provided it's well, that it's well sung and well played, I'm, I'm always delighted to hear it. And and the space, the sense of that covenant stretching on almost to eternity, is perhaps painted in the length of the aria as well. Yeah, exactly. There's the, it's it's the only bit really in the John. Once the first chorus is out of the way, that sort of monumental first chorus, it's the only bit where Bach say Bach is happy to press pause really and say for these after Jesus gets scourged, you have this incredible bass recitative arioso asking you to consider um how uh, heaven would guiding flowers spring from the thorns and how um a heart torn between grief and consolation how suffering is your most precious treasure these extraordinary words and extraordinary oppositions and then as you say the tenor aria both of these pieces with violas d'amore which are an amazing color actually to happen in, in the midst of such um, tension and and sort of worked up music, um, yeah. The the the, the tenor is I think really special. It comes the material from it comes from the scourging. So we get this which is a the sort of dactyl figure which we have in the scourging and we have in the kreutziger kreutziger kreutziger, and we in the aria he uses the same rhythmic kind of emblem to mean uh, salvation and redemption.
Stegen, in allen Stegen, dem Himmelreiche, dem Himmelreiche geht.
tenor Matthew Beale with Collegium Novum, conducted by Edward Higginbottom, and their recording of the St. John Passion. There are those rainbow shapes there. Yeah, there's amazing harmony in there as well, the way the harmony turns, this kind of sun comes out when he talks about um, the transformation of the wounds, the wheels on Christ's flesh into into the rainbow of salvation. He's just able to do it with this a small musical gesture, but it's so telling and so um, profound, really. So the instruments that you can hear there are two viola d'amore, uh, which is a very particular kind of string instrument. It doesn't look like a violin. And there's a lovely photo, I think, in, in John Elliott Gardner's book of a viola d'amore where the, it's taken from such an angle that the bridge looks like a rainbow. So there's a kind of synchronicity there. It's nice. I love that. Yeah. And speaking of stringed instruments brings us rather nicely to your preferred excerpt uh, from the Matthew. Yeah, so the the thing I thought would be nice to hear was um, a little bit of the aria Comsusus Kreutz, which again is the, the singer who, in the score at least, um, sang the words of Christ um, and is, I find it a wonderful aria. It's, it's for viola da gamba and singer and continuo, so very, very small forces. Um, it's in, there's a few musical things that's worth just pointing out. The viola da gamba really was, um, for Bach, was seemed to be associated with death, really. Um, es ist vollbracht in the John, which is the, the moment where just after Christ dies, that's a viola da gamba um, obligato part. Um, think of the early cantatas where he uses gambas as a as a real signifier of, of the theme of death. Um, it's in D minor, which is a sort of key of nobility, and also the 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 um, the dance step, if you like, that comes as quotes is constructed on, is a, a noble dance, a dance for kings and um, royalty. So we get already before we've even started the music, perhaps we get a sense of a, of a kingly death. So the music, like so often, Bach is able to kind of reveal to us uh, a cosmic truth that we can't see, but the music tells us. Kreuz, so will ich sagen, mein 
Tantalizingly relatively brief excerpt there of Komsusis Kreutz with Matthew Brook uh, and the wonderful Jonathan Manson on the Dunedin's recording. Um, Nick, you were just saying while we were listening to that about how, again, with this this text so schwer, so schwer, that it's too heavy and the text uh, the tessitura of the vocal line comes down, and then the sun coming out. It's, I mean, in a sense, it's word painting, which is which is seemingly quite. Uh, sort of apparent and, and uh, instinctive, intuitive, but it's done with such style and grace. Yeah, uh, to talk about it seems to trivialise it almost. It, yeah. But but it's this, it's just so perfect. It's just so right for the words as the the, the vocal line comes down, but the harmony also goes sort of more goes sort of southwards as he talks about how the the weight is too the weight of suffering is too great, too heavy, and then the words so hilstomir, but you help me carry it. And the sun comes out, and we go into B flat major, which is the key of Machadich. So you're already towards salvation, um, but like as I say, to articulate it just seems to lessen it somehow. This is a conversation which could clearly go on for a very long time, <laughs> and already Sorry. has done probably. <laughs> um, so we've got to think about how we can uh, how we can start to to wrap this up. I mean, a few things. You know, there are things that that we've encountered. Uh, anyone who's performed these pieces will have encountered you know what size performing forces we go for there's a can of worms um, and you can send us your thoughts on this of course um, 
Send them to Eamon. You know, we've both... <laughs> thank you. Send them to Robert, actually. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, we've had... You know, we've both experienced it with, you know, large-scale forces, but also the much more intimate one to a part. Have you got a personal feeling? I'm not... I mean, I don't think there's one right way of doing it. I know people can get quite militant about this, but I've... I've enjoyed, you know, experience of uh, of any number of ways. Actually. Yeah, that's certainly true. I think I think people do get quite um, worked up about it. Um, I've I've I feel very privileged to have done it in lots of different ways: big choirs, big symphony orchestra, um, right down to just eight singers. Um, it, doing it one per part, I find, is a kind of on a on a human level very interesting. It's obviously tiring. It's obviously much more involving and and grueling, if you like. Uh, particularly the John, actually, for me, because the there just isn't a let up. Those choruses are really full on. And yeah. If you're evangelising as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, this is quite a dull point, but in, if you're evangelising between um, the end of Ich Folgedier and Esses Vollbracht, you get one number off. So it's, not, it's, you know, it's really full on. Yeah. Um, so there's that, but that's only really a side concern, I think. Much more interesting is the fact that you're asked in these smaller forces things to shapeshift much more you're you go from baying for blood to singing about singing a chorale about forgiveness and um, often in in the space of one beat um there are a couple of moments in the matthew where the crowd is is screaming for death and then singing a, a the a chorale of the faithful um immediately afterwards so there's a kind of there's a richer human experience there which i think is interesting i think for an audience it's nice to hear or it's at least of interest to understand something theological about the fact that the person who, um, the sinner, if you like, the person who sings Peter's the, the part of Peter might also sing the part of Pilate, and is complicit in different ways in in the act of human frailty. Um, certainly in the Matthew, um, when you have Christ, the person who sang the words of Christ having died, and then singing Machidich, that gives us a, again a much more modern, really, concept of of identity, humanity. Um, so we can have people out the front and doing the solos, and that's that's lovely and a, a wonderful big choir singing that first chorus. You know, it's, it's, it's an incredible experience, really, to, to hear and be part of. But I think the the music is so great and his Bach's understanding of the material is so profound that whichever format we do it in, I think it really it, it illuminates a different kind of corner of, of the kind of great room of, of meaning. Two pieces finish, I mean, very differently, actually. Uh, and this is how we're going to finish. Um, tell me about the end of the Matthew. So a couple of things. The the final chorus is a kind of great C minor saraband. So you've got this this sense that the whole piece has been one structure from the G major chorale of the first movement. So the perfect cadence into the C minor of the final movement. C minor feels like a, a sort of funereal key. The, the penultimate chorus of the John is also in C minor. Um, and previous to that in the Matthew, there's a kind of slightly unusual, um, not clumsy exactly, but an unusual form where um, each of the solo singers from choir one bids goodnight, John Buck calls it, it's goodnight from him and it's goodnight from me. Yeah. <laughs> that's sort of the four Ronnies. Um, but the, the one interesting thing about that is the way that the crown that we talked about, the crown of upper strings that Jesus had, which he loses when he sings about um, Eli Eli Lama Savaktani, he... He, that's without strings so in, in crying that God's forsaken him he doesn't have the crown of um, divinity if you like that crown of strings is passed to the faithful and they they sing uh, above that in that penultimate movement and the choir too sings my knees will go to nacht so there's a real sense of valediction there and then this monumental um, 
saraband where we sit down by the grave and just and weep really at, at the death of Christ. Like you say, the John is a different a different ending to the, to, to the same story. So the final chorus, if you like, of the John again is in a dance form. It's a dance form rootval, and it's this wonderful sense of peace, sleep well, and 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 almost putting Christ to rest. But then it has a chorale. Yeah, it's a real it, coup, isn't it? Which is uh, which is the coup. Of course, one of the things that the conductor has to do is to remember that after the incredible um, emotional welling up of of the of Rutval, that we have to remember to conduct the chorus, yeah, uh, the chorale after it. I mean, I heard recently. I've heard two really, really distinguished conductors who've who've just kind of put their baton down at the end of Rutval and had to be reminded by the leader, just <coughs> maestro, you know, <laughs> one more to go, nearly there, yeah. Let's remember that this is a piece that was performed Good Friday, Vesper service, Good Friday. So this is before the resurrection. And yet in the John, the final chorale foreshadows the, re- the resurrection and finishes really on a very, very positive sort of triumphant, almost a, yeah, almost a triumphal note. Yeah, exactly. Hugely positive, kind of perhaps send them out with a, with a skip in their step. It's also about the way that Bach seems to understand that this is a story that goes beyond kind of conventional narrative. Of course, the congregation understands that the, the resurrection is coming. And so the, there's more than just narrative time, more sense of time in the passions than just purely narrative. We have a sense of redemption that we know or we believe is near. We have a sense of further back. It's like that T.S. Eliot thing about um, past. the past and the future is, is all together in one moment. All, all time is present sort of thing and that that feels like that where we have this again very close by this sense of laying someone to rest and also the redemption that's immediately after nick wonderful to have you with us today thank you so much real pleasure thank you and for now we're going to leave you call to our listeners with the final chorus from st john passion uh with a recording by edward higginbottom and the choir of new college oxford
before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks. <laughs>